0: Hi, everyone. It's Simon here from Sterling Coaching, and welcome to today's episode of the Business Success and Coffee podcast, in which I'm joined by Dr. Troy Hall. And Dr. Troy and I were introduced uh, through a platform, and I'm just going to read a little bit of what it says uh, in the platform, just to introduce you, uh, Dr. Troy, if that's okay. So it says here that you're a global expert in talent retention strategies that you've been featured on the Today Show, ABC, uh, Beyond the Business Radio Show and CEO World and has been acknowledged as an award-winning culture strategist radio show host. So I'm truly privileged to have you on this podcast, speaker, author and talent retention expert. So good to have you on today's podcast. Welcome.
1: Well, thank you so much and Wow, what a mouthful.
0: Yes, thank you. Yeah, well, at least there were no tongue twisters in there. Right? It's always when people put the really long tongue twister words in there that uh, gets me the, going.
1: You, you did really well. You enunciated everything. I heard it all. Good, good. Exactly the way I wrote it.
0: Perfect. <laughs> uh, before we get started about what we're drinking, just give us a little bit of a backstory into that introduction. What what led you to, to that intro and that award winning speaking offer, et cetera? Just tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Well, I think most of it started because my PhD is in global leadership and entrepreneurship. And it was important for me not to just have an academic degree, but to have one that was a degree of practice. Mm -hmm. And so through my career, I've had the opportunity to travel to 45 of the US states. I've been to over 60 countries and set foot in six continents. And of course, uh, my wife's favorite city is London in the United Kingdom. And so we have visited that city well enough that when we see TV shows, we know exactly where people
0: are. <laughs> That's great, and it's it's interesting because if you ask many people in the UK, London isn't always their favorite city, and it's very much a favorite with the tourists. But actually, I love London. I love the connectivity. Um, yeah, all the cities that have an underground, you know, a subway that connects places where you can just get on a train, pop up somewhere is is great for me. So yeah, I'm glad you like London. My favorite city, actually. In the world, uh, is Toronto. So I've had businesses in Canada for over twenty years, and I just love Toronto. Uh, there's something about Toronto which just connected with me,
1: and I love that to bit. So, and you must definitely love the underground city there. Definitely,
0: yes. Although I've I've never really explored it fully in winter. I've, I've got there you know a little bit when it's turned cold, but not really in the midst of winter. So, thinking about what we're drinking today, Doctor Troy, um, I've got my traditional coffee. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're drinking and why.
1: Well, today I'm drinking uh, a juice and this is because my wife and I chose to really adopt a very healthy lifestyle and so we do juicing. And so my uh, concoction today is apple, uh, apples and carrots and ginger mixed with a little bit of lemon. Yeah, see, I love ginger. I
0: mean, to me, anything Hot or cold should always have a little bit of ginger in it. Yeah, I, I have lemon and ginger tea, uh, so I love ginger. So that must give it a little bit of a kick then.
1: It does, and it also helps for indigestion, which is really good. Uh, we discovered this uh, during one of my trips through Africa and when we oh. were on the safari and, you know, really was riding in the in the Jeep and was a little bit of, you know, my stomach was not quite feeling well. And yeah. one of my other colleagues said, uh, you should try ginger and actually had you know, fresh ginger to try. And I was like, oh, I'm hooked. It works really yeah. well. Yeah. And it's interesting,
0: isn't it? Because, you know, the Far East, nearly everything that they cook has some, you know, scope of ginger in it as well. So they really understand that digestive benefit of ginger. So tell us a little bit about how you juice. You know, is there a particular uh, way that you produce a juice yeah I, I always remember buying I went to see Tony Robbins way back in 2005 and he got me on juicing then because of the the last day which was a nutrition day and I bought a Jack LaLanne, uh power juicer because that was the one that Tony Robbins recommended so I managed to find one on the internet and yeah it 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 was great juicer, but my wife hated cleaning it out because I was always the world's worst culprit at leaving all the pulp in the juicer. So tell us, a li- I'm intrigued. Tell us a little bit more about how you well,
1: juice. So I'm a, I'm the consumer of the juice. My wife is the preparer of the juice. And so she uh, handles all of that cleaning and you're right. There's a lot of pulp and things to clean with it. I don't even know what brand we have. All I knew <laughs> is that I had to pay for it when it came to me from Amazon. So, oh. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I help uh, with uh, the grocery purchases and sometimes washing yep. the apples sure. and cleaning the carrots to, to do that. But uh, we have uh, smoothies and all sorts of things that happen with it. Uh, freeze the bananas and then you can put the bananas in. If it's cold and then add your additional yep. fruits with it and other like almond milk or some other type of, uh, you know, liquid substance you want to, to add to it. And then mm-hmm. she has uh, certain, um, I, I I guess there are flavors, you know, that there's Mm. uh, milk, milk thistle, I believe she adds and some other ingredients that, that actually enhance the flavors of the, uh, of the juices that we have. So, yep. So, so basically, uh, a juice a day, sort of like uh, having an apple a day, but in this case, there's two in the juice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it makes such a difference to your energy levels, to your health generally, doesn't it? So it definitely has nutritional benefits. Definitely.
1: Oh yeah, really. And you know, and not to, um, you know, make myself out better than others. But I have a very positive attitude in life. And so, um, you know, I'm feeling healthy about things. And I've had people tell me that even on my down day, I am actually more optimistic than most people are on their day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: and and that's great to hear. And I'm intrigued. Listeners, you can't see, um, obviously, what uh, Dr. Troy has behind him there. But he's got a book on there, which we might share a story a little bit later on. But the book is intriguing me because the the word that's on there which i'm sure we're going to come to is interpreted different ways here in the uk to perhaps that it is in north america and i know that very well when i had a guy from uh, the canadian spark company from toronto come over here to help me with quite a large show and uh, he used that term in a hot tub which really really upset the english lady that was uh, in the hot tub. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later oh, on. You're teasing.
1: You're teasing. The <laughs> yes, list. I am. Now I am. Definitely listen, definitely. listen in for this special <laughs> announcement. That's right.
0: Yeah, definitely. So thinking about your, your own business, um, and your own organization, I always find it useful for the listeners to, um, find out what, you know, the guests are actually being up to. So what's been something significant, uh, that you've been working on in your own business, your own
1: organization. Well, most of the work that I do is all stemmed from the book I wrote, which was a best-selling title called Cohesion Culture, Proven Principles to Retain Your Top Talent. So my dissertation was in group dynamics with an emphasis on cohesion. And when I began to think about the consulting and executive coaching work that I could do in the marketplace, I did a little research. And what I found is that most of the information in the area of business and employee development was really around acquisition or in the training area, very little attention was actually devoted to talent retention. And what I recognize through leadership is that the individuals who are most responsible for retaining talent in a company are the leaders. And so Mm. you can have HR strategies and practices that support the culture of the organization, but it is the interactions of the leader every single day that will determine whether the, the team works together or not. And because sometimes we tend to want to observe and put our own uh, empirical observations into play and interpret them, I thought it might be a good idea to take the research and give individuals a strategic framework by which they could say, if these items are present, would I have a cohesion culture? And the answer is yes. And those three elements are belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment. So my work is guiding leaders through organizations who want to thrive in a workplace that supports and focuses belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment. And the good news about this is that cohesion is a causal phenomenon, not correlational. So if cohesion is present in your organization, and we can test for it, then you get performance. And you get that performance in all stages of the group activity. That was part of my dissertation, part of what my hypothesis uh, proved. And then when you have that level of performance, you get engagement. And what you want in the level of engagement as an organization are your employees who are committed, who are loyal, who will go the extra mile, who will help Mm -hmm. someone else out, who are energetic and enthusiastic. And sometimes we observe some actions that the employee takes and goes, wow, that's an engaged employee. But to truly have one that's engaged in supporting your culture and invested in your culture, you need to establish cohesion as your baseline first. When you do, cohesion causes performance, which causes engagement.
0: And I I can almost, I can feel all the listeners nodding their heads as you describe the kind of person that we want there. And just before I, I sort of ask you what that book has done for you, I just want you to expand a little bit more on that shared mutual commitment because, you know, the I think the first three, uh, sorry, first two, the listeners can probably say, okay, well, I get a general idea of that. But what do you mean by shared mutual commitment? Give us a little bit more information about that.
1: Well, sure. I'll be happy to do that. So in shared mutual commitment, uh, this is the mistake that most organizations make, is they believe that once they have created this employment contract or this employment agreement whether it be explicit or implicit with an individual that the commitment is already now fundamental on the employee's part that they're going to do everything for the company where cohesion culture exists is in an area of transformation and to have transformative principles adopted and uh, and really put into place by the leader requires the leader to first focus on others, then self. Not saying that you don't ever f- focus on self, but it's others first and then self. So in a, in a shared mutual commitment, the very first thing that organizations should do is when they bring the talent in, is explain what the future is like for them. Where are the opportunities? Absolutely. How can they grow? How can they learn? How can they fulfill themselves so that when they self-actualize, they actually will be working toward the desired outcomes of the organization. But if you first start with the employee and you say, here's your office, here's your computer, here are the policies. Uh, by the way, these are the, the widgets that you need to produce. And everyone, and even though we're, we've had that conversation, we're very nice about it. The reality is, is that there's been nothing mutual in it for the employee. And how we take care of our employees determines how our employees take care of our consumers. So you build your brand through your culture, from the inside out. And although you can say great things on the outside, if it's not true on the inside, then it really doesn't matter. So that's what part of the shared mutual commitment, but before you get too far along in thinking, you know, the other two items, What I want to express to you about value that may be a little different in your thinking is this. In value, we begin to think about how we treat people. Do we offer respect? Do we create trust? And those are great value aspects. We want those values to be there. But what makes it a little different in Cohesion is that people understand that what they're doing is meaningful and purposeful work. They also understand how their work relates to any product or service they're providing to how it relates to other people in the organization. And finally, what will happen if they don't do what they need to do and what is the impact of that to the organization? That's the type of value you really need to make sure is in place. So of course, belonging is part of our innate ability to wanna be with other people and to make sure that you are creating a space that says, I'm someplace special and I want to be here and I don't just want to fit in, but I want to invest in. And so the longing is the difference between fitting in and investing in and value is the extension of my purposeful work. And the shared mutual commitment is my ability to understand what my future is to this organization so that I can fully commit myself to those desired organizational outcomes.
0: What would you say to the people that perhaps are listening to this podcast that you know our leaders in their business their senior managers in their business and when they heard you talk about commitment they understood all the information that you said they the employee the team member has to be given but there will be a thought process going through their minds that you know i've employed this person i'm paying them a salary i expect them To commit to doing the role, doing the work that I'm actually paying them for, because very often that's about as much of a mutual commitment as they expect. I pay you money. You do the job that I employ you to do.
1: What would you say to those people? Well, first of all, I guess basically if we were doing a consulting, I would say, how's that working for you? Because the reality Great is, question it, it may not be working very well and here you are building an entire strategy around a structure that is flawed. So yeah. what we know is that the structure is flawed. There's enough evidence and, and research to support that. Uh, generally, if again, if you are treating employees in that fashion, then what you have done is you have created what I would refer to as a transactional mindset, meaning that the individual is now more of a transaction than they are part of the transformation. And organizations to truly take themselves to the next level have to always be about transformation. And organizations change and individuals resist change. But when they understand the future that's involved with them, they are more likely to accomplish the change. And if you are taking care of the employee, much like the way you would take care of a guest in your home, then the byproduct that you receive would be far greater than if you didn't. Now, for those naysayers out there, may I just say, this is not perfect. Nothing is perfect, but it is proven to be extremely effective when you put something like that in place. But you can't account for anomalies or outliers or or individuals. And, And part of this discovery that leaders would have is really determining the difference between will and skill. They may have an employee who has great skill, but has no will. And what I coach and and counsel individuals on is choose for will first and then supplement skill later. I can teach anyone to do things that has a defined process and a training program, but I can't train them to be good people. They have to will that upon themselves. They have to be, they have to have these characteristics. And so in the book, Cohesion Culture, I broke it down into three simple acts for each uh, organization to review. Act one has the first two chapters devoted to leadership. If the leadership is not right, then doesn't matter what you're going to do. It's not gonna happen. Completely agree. The culture is the next act and it's about how do you build the culture. Those are, there's two chapters for that. Then the final act of the book is bringing it to life. It's bringing the talent retention model to life, allowing you to see and experience some, uh, proven things that have happened in industries, specifically uh, ideas that you can put into uh, effect immediately, and they can have an outcome. Sure. So
0: <laughs> I was just gobsmacked there because you're absolutely right. I see so many businesses who completely ignore the the willingness of an employee right from the interview stage of whether this potential employee uh, is actually going to step up to the plate and be willing to do what is asked of them. It's such a flaw in many, many recruitment processes, isn't it? And I'm just gobsmacked that we see so many people make the same mistake over and over again. They might have employed hundreds of people, but they still keep repeating the same mistake. They recruit for skills first.
1: Yeah, it's uh, what we call the definition of insanity, doing the (laughs) same thing over and over again and (laughs) expecting a different result. Exactly,
0: yeah, yeah. well, we think the people are going to be different, wouldn't we? So we think that different people will give you a different result, but the same process of recruiting for skills will give you the same result.
1: Yeah, and if you just alter that, you could apply that theory that you just said, that the people will be different, but the reality is is that people are not necessarily all that different. But if you apply the techniques and the practices that I mentioned to you, you're going to get the result you want. So you're already doing something anyway, why not do the something that actually leads to be more effective? Yeah. Uh,
0: so the, the the book, and we'll tell the listeners where to get a copy of, of the book and more a little bit later on. Uh, but how has it been since the book was published? then? what has it meant to you? What doors has it opened, and what difference has it made? You know, some of the listeners might be either established authors, budding authors. Uh, what what kind of
1: difference has it made to you? Well, the first thing that I would say to even someone who was thinking of writing a book, uh, certainly if you've already written one, I hope you would have followed at least some of this thinking. That the book that you write, especially the first one you launch, is more likely going to define your authority voice within the marketplace. This is where people will think of you and how you'll be known. And for anyone who thinks that today in releasing books, that it's about the money you make from selling the book, then you're Mm -hmm. gravely mistaken the money you make is from the opportunities the book provides it provides in some cases proof that what you're saying makes sense because people can read it it's tangible it has some background information to it i mean assuming of course that you didn't write fiction uh, if you wrote yeah. fiction then of course that would be a different yeah. story altogether yeah. different but podcast. in this right <laughs> but in this case you know there's uh, there's evidence behind the information so it becomes a great entry for me for clients uh, that maybe potentially for the future, I can send them a copy of the book, say, hey, I'd like to send you a copy of my book. I'll let you have it. Of course it was very helpful that it was a best-selling title uh, that also works. We've distributed yeah. well over 5,000 copies of the book. Anyone mm-hmm. who's cool. written a book understands that most authors sell maybe a hundred copies. So yeah. you know there is a, a, there's a great need for this because this topic is not prevalent in literature. Uh, the, to talk about how you would retain talent. And what makes this book especially different is the fact that I give you information in the first book. I don't make you buy two or three books in a series to tell you information. I tell you what you need to have in this book. I'm confident enough that you can use that information to understand that it works. Then you need someone like me to help you go through that process to put that in place. And so, when I work with a client, I take the strategic framework within the book, which is belonging, value, shared mutual commitment, and we overlay that strategic uh, framework to the organization. And we start to examine in the areas of belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment where are you doing? How are you doing? I also have a culture assessment tool that I can provide to organizations to say, let's do a benchmark of your culture before we do any activity so that you can measure the results of the activity later. I can give you some empirical observations that you and your team should be making for the next two to three weeks before we even put any of this stuff in place. So that your mind is geared toward what you're supposed to be looking for, as opposed to me just assuming that you'll know where to go.
0: Yeah, sure. So thinking about um, the the extraordinary results that I'm sure this book gives businesses uh, and what they can achieve by implementing these these three aspects of uh, cohesive culture. What would you say is a great tip or lesson that the listeners could do something with today or tomorrow? Obviously, I'm at the end of my day, listeners could be listening to this any time of the day. But if if you were to give somebody a tip of how they can get closer to those uh, extraordinary results, what would that tip or lesson be today?
1: Well, there are three things that I tell all my clients to look for before we really move into an engagement. Because okay. I want to know that they're listening. I want to know that they're, what they are uh, seeing, uh, what they're experiencing uh, is fresh and top of mind. So I would say to all the listeners, do these things. One, observe the greetings that happen in your organization. How do people interact with each other? Are they genuine? Do you think they're synthetic? What do you see happening? The idea is not for you to fix anything. It's not for you to try to make any corrections. It's just to create observations so that you can be more familiar with those examples as we go through much of the consulting process. Then we listen for laughter. Now we're not necessarily listening for the har, 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 slap your knee laughter. What we're doing is determining What is the level of stress in the organization? Is there any lighthearted conversation that's happening? Is there some general fun and good camaraderie and nature between individuals? If that's the case, make note of it. When does it happen? How does it happen? What are you you feeling and and sensing about that? And then lastly, um, we look for affirmations. How are people affirming other individuals? Are they handshaking? fist bumps, high fives, creating virtual kudos, are they they taking credit for ideas or are they giving credit to ideas? Do they build other people up or do they speak in ways in which they tear them down? All of those activities, that observation is so important because in the concept of social learning, we learn by observation. And from our observation, depending upon what we want the desired outcome to be, we choose what to imitate. And we will make selections of that. We then value that assessment of imitation based on our value system and what we want that desired outcome to be. Then we begin modeling those activities. So when I place you into a mindset of observing, you are going to begin to start to think about those things that should be imitated or those things that should not be imitated. And it's going to be based on your value system. I see. Those are the three things that I would recommend that individuals do to, uh, to get them started today and get a good feel for where they think their culture is. And it's
0: interesting listeners, you know, that that second point there about laughter, because, you know, we very often perhaps see it as time wasting, we perhaps see it as, you know, people not doing their job efficiently, but it is a good indicator of the stress levels, as you mentioned. But also, Uh, Dr Troy, it can be an indication and and something to look out for that people are being excluded from the laughter because I don't know if you've seen it in organisations and I'm sure you have where you have two or three people in in a laughter conversation and somebody just outside of that conversation that almost seems to be excluded. Is is there anything that people perhaps should be looking out for particularly when it comes to that because this won't be something that many of the listeners are used to looking for? What... What exactly should they be looking out for, do you think?
1: Well, again, all of it is observations. Make note for the observations because those observations then begin to guide the next series of of steps that we take. Uh, You know, I would would simply say that overall in an organization, if you truly want people to belong, then each individual person can actually make sure that others are included and, and belong. And you shouldn't just be relying on the fact that people should know how to do it themselves because people don't. If they did already, you sort of almost wouldn't need a book like Cohesion Culture and you wouldn't need someone like me coming into your organization to help you do it. So we already know the evidence is that people don't do it on their own. So we have to give them support. We have to give them the kind of information that they need to have, the the stimulus that they need to do it. And we need to then support the leadership so that they can do the type of effective coaching that's necessary to make sure that what they put in place actually stays in place and doesn't just become the flavor of the month, the flavor of the week, the something exactly. that we're doing for right now. Yeah. And we're not committed to doing it in the long haul.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you've mentioned somebody, something very important there. It is about making those observations because very often businesses have a culture, but it's not the right culture. And if it's a culture of exclusivity, if it's a culture of, you know, isolating people, then that's quite toxic and quite destructive to the business. So having that um cohesion culture is absolutely critical so that brings people together doesn't it and with with that sort of comment where can people go to get a copy of your book what what do you want the listeners to do today where can they go to digest and reach out to you and share this content and some of the great tools and inspiration that you've given us today
1: well they can go to amazon and they can purchase the book directly through amazon they can go to their favorite bookstore and actually request to order it. Uh, it is published through Kohler Publishing. So it is a book that will be sold in bookstores uh, and they can they should be able to get it there. Uh, in another month, uh, the book will be available on Audible. Uh, ah, unfortunately, uh, no, no,
0: that's good for me. <laughs>
1: yeah, and unfortunately, based on the, the issues with the pandemic and some of the things that we had to do to, to yeah. shift our business model, and uh, the release of the book on its timing, uh, we weren't able to complete the uh, Audible until um, you know the timing, which will be next month. Yeah. And then it'll be available on the Audible, but it, um, it's still available through Amazon. You can get that. And if by chance the listeners somehow cannot find it, uh, then have them reach out to me directly and they can do so at drtroyhall.com, Dr. Troy Hall. And there's a contact form our connect form and they can connect with me. Just tell them what they're, what they're looking for and I'll be able to help them out.
0: Sure. And of course, listeners, we will put the, uh, the information of how you can reach out to Dr. Troy uh, into the show notes as well. So check those out. Uh, and I'm so pleased, you know, although, you know, listeners, you can't see this, but I'm sat in front of a, a bookshelf full of business books. Uh, I tend to listen to them first and then I buy the hard copies for reference so I find it much easier to decide if I really take value from a book by listening to it. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's going to be available on Audible. That's a, that's a great extra resource for, for people like me in particular. Well, great. Now, great. I've, I've, I've got to ask the question because we, we alluded to it and got people leaning in at the <laughs> beginning here. You have another book on your shelf behind you there, which uh, I'll let you give the title there and just tell us you know, the, the context of that book
1: that's beside it. Sure. Uh, the book is called Fanny Rules. It's a mother's leadership lessons that never grow old. And Fanny is my mother's name, was her nickname. And so the, the book basically, uh, give you, I'll give you this uh, idea mom. about the book. When I was 12 years old, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. We lived in a very small rural town um, in the country. And there was poor economic conditions, uh, limited education, And we were somewhere between 30 to 45 minutes from the local hospital. Uh, During the time 50 years ago, when a person was diagnosed with cancer, inevitably the the prognosis was disaster. Um, So part of the process that my mom uh, decided through this uh, announcement and through what was happening is she made a declaration of life. She said, you know, I didn't know what my life was going to be like before someone told me I had cancer and I was living my life. She says, I'm going to continue to live it until it ceases. She made a choice that day that is something that I build my leadership practice on that says this, that my character will be defined by the choices I make, not the circumstances I find myself in. We were poor by circumstance, but not by choice. And during the summer after mom's operation, I nurtured her to health And she shared many of these life lessons because in her mind, she wanted to pour life into me before she passed away. Now, my dad was the protector and provider, so he was out working the whole time. The good news is mom lived 43 years beyond that awful summer, but her plight was not over. During the final phase of her life, she was diagnosed with dementia and Alzheimer's. Mm. And as a result, Alzheimer's stole her memories from her. So this leadership book pays tribute to her and it brings back 31 teachable moments wrapped around nine rules that I can share with the next generation of people who may need a little fanny of their own. Yeah.
0: And, you know, listeners, I don't know if you're feeling the same there, but what a great story and what a great way to sort of uh, finish and round off this podcast, because that was goosebumps from my feet to the top of my head. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for sharing that. And yeah, I lost my mum last year, and you know, she suffered dementia for quite a few years. And yeah, I just wish, yeah, I'd have gone through the same process. You know, as you were saying, that it made me reflect, you know, how much of that could I capture? I had conversations with her in the last few months of her life that, yeah, probably even I will forget one day. And I've got no brothers and sisters to pass it on
1: to. So, what a great, great way. Uh Fanny well, is the star of the show. She's the star of the book. And yeah. my proceeds of the book benefit the Alzheimer's Association. Oh, and here's good news for you. This one is on Audible today.
0: Correct. <laughs> well, that's it. That, as soon as I hang up this call, I'm going to go and get an Audible version of that. Great. So so we've got two books. Then We've got uh, Cohesion Culture and we've got Fanny Rawls. And they're both uh, listed as published you know and uh, and authored by you so that's dr troy hall
1: yes thank you very much yeah. for bringing attention yeah. to this i appreciate it yeah
0: yeah great um so i want to ask the sort of final question to sort of just bring this to close and back to the drink. if you were going to have your next juice prepared by your wife um uh, which is a great way i'm very in favor of that uh, Where would you have what dream location might that juice be absolutely
1: uh, drank with with your wife? Where where would you have that juice? Well, now, if you go back to the beginning of the story, then Mm -hmm. I would tell you that we would have that juice in the London Eye. And we would add the champagne to it because we would be taking the champagne (laughs) tour in the English eye, which we have done multiple times and it never changes. And although I've mentioned to you before that she loves London, we have mm. been through the United Kingdom countryside. We've been to the Cotswold. We have been to uh, Stonehenge. We have been to Bath. We've been to, um, you know, Salisbury. We've been to a number of these small, beautiful towns that are located yeah. in that area. But she just loves the architecture. She loves the landscaping. And she yeah. really loves, you know, interacting with the people, um, you know, yeah. of the United Kingdom. And so that's one yeah. how it's turned out to become but her London, well, you, you've pipped me there because I've never been on the London Eye. How many times
0: I've been in London, I used to, I've got clients in London. Um, so when you last came to London, was the Shard, you know, the big glass building, was that actually uh, finished and erected when you last came to London?
1: Oh, oh yes, we were, in, we were there in 2019. Ah, OK. We, and we would have because, been there in 2012. We've been there like 10 or 12 times. We would have, yeah. we're, like I said, we know the city so well almost yeah. that we kind of yeah. say, oh, I know where that is. And, oh, I know that. And it's, uh, you know, really just a, a, it's just a nice little treat for us uh, to be able to do that. And we have colleagues and and individuals that we know friends in the city. So it's great for us to come back and visit. But here's the good, here's the thing about it. We didn't know any of these people when we first started, right? <laughs> it's all right. about creating relationships. Yeah. And that's what we've yeah. been talking about, not only through Cohesion Culture, but through the book Fanny Rules. Certainly. It's about creating relationships with people that become lasting and not just um, something that you expect to happen, but something you work at, at making happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, you, you've you left us with such a great idea there of living our life by the choices that we make, not by the circumstances. And I think that is so, so uh, important. Uh, Dr. Troy, you've given us so many things to take away. You know, those those three aspects, the extra definition of shared mutual commitment uh, and the three sort of elements to the lessons that listeners you can take away and do something with. And of course, when you've got that awareness, you've taken those notes, you've you know, taken that sort of benchmarking idea of where you and your business is. Then grab a copy of the book, reach out to Dr. Troy and make sure you do something with it. Uh, we started this by Dr. Troy saying that he didn't want to do his whole education based purely on education, but on the implementation of that. So do something with what you've learned today, as always. Don't just listen and learn, go out and put it into action. That's really, really important. And I'm definitely now I'm going to go straight on to Audible and order my copy of Fanny rules. That is definitely the case. And I'm not going to say anything about uh, the story with the hot tubs, because I don't think that would do it much justice. But I want to certainly <laughs> encourage you to do that. But uh, and I'm sure yeah, dr troy you'll understand the, the difference in language between the us and the uk and how different words i had it this morning with pants pants over here means something completely different to pants and trousers as we call them over there so uh, thank you for giving up your time uh listeners make uh use of the time that you've listened to today and go out and do something different work on your culture uh, and work on that cohesion and thank you very
1: much for giving up your time dr troy it's really really appreciated Well, Simon, thank you very much for having me. And everyone who's listening, just remember, you don't have to know everything. You just need to be teachable. Exactly. Yeah, perfect. What
0: a way to end the podcast. And as listeners, you know, this is part of my mission to help people be more aware, better educated and accountable. So go out there and do something with what you've learned today. That's what I'm going to finish off there. And I look forward to having you on the next podcast. Bye for now.